you know, one of the projects I'm definitely most most proud of is a project, uh, an energy a solar plus storage project outside of Manhattan that is serving Catholic charities and, and other LMI customers. And and in my mind is is staying very much true to the intent and spirit of what community solar was meant to be. We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. The solar industry in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome to the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis. Episode 71 coming at you right now, and we're excited, as we are each and every episode, to bring you another great mind from the renewable energy business. And this week, we do not disappoint as we welcome to the program Chief Investment Officer of EDPR Renewables North America Distributed Generation, right here in good old Houston, Texas, Mr. Richard Dover, longtime veteran of the renewable industry, especially on the solar side of things. And uh, we've got quite the wide-ranging conversation with him today. His journey from startup to where he's at right now with the behemoth that is EDPR and the stories that go along with it and kind of what they're doing in the community solar realm that is certainly something that you have not heard. And we will definitely get into that and just get his thoughts on what they are doing to lead the way in community solar, plus plenty of other projects they've got going on as well. But before we get to that, let's welcome to the program Miss Ann Niemer, COO and co-founder of eRenewable, telling you exactly what it is we do here at eRenewable. Hi, Ann Niemer here, co-founder and COO of eRenewable. At eRenewable, we know everyone has sustainability needs and wants. We want to help you reach your ESG goal. Our goal is to bring technology to the sustainability space by hosting real-time online auctions for both buyers and sellers. Our electronic management tool helps streamline the RFP process. Whether you need to procure energy or find an off-taker for a renewable project, our platform will provide pricing efficiencies to your organization. Our other projects include solar or battery storage development, renewable natural gas or responsibly sourced gas, LED lighting, and HVAC efficiency upgrades, or unbundled RECs or RSG certificates, all helping our customers reach their sustainability goals and meeting their ESG needs. Please visit our website at eRenew.net or call us at 1-866-ERENEW1. As always, thank you for listening to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Thank you so much for that, Miss Ann Niemer. You can find out more about the company over at eRenew.net. Stay tuned to eRenew.net as well. We've got a brand new web design coming up that we're very excited about, and I'm sure you will be too. Uh, keep posted to us and follow us over there at LinkedIn and give Ann, myself, and of course our our co-founder and CEO, Mr. Mike Niemer, who you will hear shortly on the broadcast as well. Give us a follow over there on LinkedIn. You will be glad you did. So without further ado, let's jump into the program with Chief Investment Officer from EDPR North America Distributed Generation, Mr. Richard Dover. A little bit about his career in the business, started out at C2 Energy Capital, a number of different startups he's been a part of, but C2 Energy Capital uh, joining forces with EDPR. He talks a little bit about what it was about EDPR, uh, why he and his partner made the jump. He also talks a a little bit about community solar uh, and the lead that EDPR is taking on that, a little bit about his favorite project as well. You do not want to miss that. Also, too, kind of what is the biggest hurdle right now to getting projects done? We've talked a lot of folks about kind of some of the bottlenecks they've talked about trans transactionally. He also gets into a little bit about what are some of the challenges. And of course, he'd be remiss if we didn't talk about kind of, you know, putting a punctuation on 
2021 and what's ahead for 2022 and beyond for EDPR. So without further ado, please welcome to the program, Mr. Richard Dover. I like the finance side of the business. It has sort of the right balance for me personally of science and technical and engineering and problem solving and, you know, legal and, and strategy. And, and I felt that quite honestly, uh, and, and probably inappropriately so that I was uh, equipped to do all of that when I was coming out of college. Um, and I wasn't, uh, I, I don't want to say that, um, uh, I, I knew everything about what I was doing at the time. Uh, I definitely, it's been, um, you know, it's been now, I think, 14 years uh, at this point um, since I graduated, 13 years. And I, I just I just felt like it was a confluence of, uh, of being able to work at the intersection of all of those different things. And so that's why I like the finance side of it, uh, because, you know, again, you can touch policy, you can touch engineering, you can touch, in my mind, a level of programming, uh, you know, which, you know, in, in terms of financial modeling and things like that, I didn't feel like I would be as interested if I had been, if I had taken like a specific track, like legal or specific track, like consulting and in a you know particular subject matter, I, I like the investment side because it really is the center of it all. And even though it was only 13, 14 years ago when you started, when you got into this and uh, into energy investments, uh, just from folks we've talked to that have been in it for that, I mean, again, it was still kind of the wild, wild west when you started off. Tell us a little bit about that difference when you started out 14, 15 years ago to where you're at right now uh, when you guys talk about financing solar and renewable energy projects. I, I don't know that the conversation has actually changed all that much. What I think, what I think has changed is people's willingness to to believe it and listen to it. I don't think it's necessarily that the things that I feel, I mean, sometimes I have a hard time remembering my grocery list here. So so it's not maybe maybe it's from a recollection standpoint, but I don't necessarily feel that the sort of mores around renewables and why it was important and why the investments were of quality and how the risk mitigation took place. I mean, yeah, things have gotten more sophisticated and you benefit from experience and, and hindsight, but, you know, I, 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 what I think is, I mean, what, what is apparent is that the markets have made a massive commitment of, of capital and resources and attention to renewables to pursue the same things that, you know, I think some of the people who have been visionaries in the sector have been talking about, ha had already been talking about for the last 12 or 15 years. I, I think that, you know, the good thing about Wild, Wild West, uh, you know, industries is that you can be, uh, you know, you can be there from the start and you can learn and, and, and uh, you know, pre-established, you know, background is not required to, to enter. Um, so it's not like real estate. If I were to go work on real estate now, I mean, you know, why why would anybody want to work with me versus somebody who's got 10 or 15 years of experience in real estate? When we were hiring people in renewables, there was no no such thing as a person with renewables background. It really it existed in such a limited capacity. And so, you know, we were we were I don't I don't think we were the first real generation of renewables. I think there there are a couple of people that that were. Um, and that, that, that we're part of that. I think we were the sort of second generation in that class post uh, 2008. I think that that's really when the renewables history really started. I think it's like sort of the, the you know, before 2000, you know, a uh, BC and AD type of thing, you know. Um, BS and, and AS, right? Before solar and exactly, after solar. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, 
Yeah, I mean, look, I think the arguments around sustainability, I think the arguments around reliability, I think the arguments around warranties and financing, it, it actually has not changed so much. Just what has happened is that there's more investor interest, the cost of capital has gone down. And I think that when cost of capital comes down, that is a that is an indicator of comfort around you know, the investment and the reliability of the investment and the ability to analyze it. I feel like I'm still having the same elements of my sales pitch from, you know, 13 years ago about why this is good. Really? So, yeah. I, I mean, so even, I don't think so, that... So yeah. even when Richard uh, uh, Dover goes into goes into a place and is, is, is touting EDPR, which again, for anybody that knows renewable space knows, I mean, EDPR is, is, is one of the, you know, creme de la creme. You're still having to do, you're still having that sales pitch to give to folks because there's still, there still needs to be some buy-in for folks. Yeah. I think, I just think that people are hearing about it more and more and I'm doing more sales pitches because more people want to hear more about it. But, you know, we're still talking about, you know, system warranties and system design and forward price curves and, um, you know, implementation quality and, 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 and all of those same things that, uh, you know, I remember, you know, pitching investors on, on my first, on the first deals that we bought uh, in 2011, right. We were worried about warranty and roof age and, and whether or not this was saving the client money and, and so on. But I think that there, there are different elements that have been bolted on in terms of the, you know, the underlying value and, and asset value proposition to, again, bring down the cost of capital because investors and, and the community at large have become uh, more comfortable with it. And the lower the cost of capital, the lower, the greater level of savings you can offer the client. Um, and, and it just perpetuates more and more. What kind of size, what's your sweet spot of a customer that you're looking for? So the mandate of the DG platform is everything sub 20 megawatts EC. Um, so it's sort of following a FERC-ish definition of distributed agenda and then excluding residential within them. I think from our standpoint, what we, you know, we really have three verticals to our, to our business plan. One is, you know, greenfield development, which at this point is largely concentrated within the context of community solar. Um, we have uh, key accounts, which are clients uh, like the Walmarts of the world, uh, school systems, uh, utility, you know, utility programs, things like that. Uh, and then the third is M&A, where we're uh, very active uh, in acquiring projects from development stage all the way through operation. So in terms of what, you know, if we were pitching a, you know, a, a power purchaser, that would fall under that key account vertical. Um, and, you know, our, our, our ideal clients are clients who, you know, have uh, a, a site where they may want to start or a portfolio of starts where they sites where they would want to start that we can then scale up. But ultimately, DG, the delineation of, you know, sub 20 megawatts AC and what we are looking for, I think matters less because realistically what, what I view our business as being in is, is, is a client solutions business. So, you know, I could say, oh, well, you know, I only want one megawatt size systems. Well, that's what I want, but that doesn't necessarily serve the, the benefit. That may be what I want, but that doesn't serve what the customer needs are. And if the customer has, you know, a, a rooftop or a carport that can support five or 600 KW, do we tell that customer, no, go away, we can't help you? We need to be in the customer solutions business and be able to bring the capabilities of EDPR to distributed generation, not distributed net generation necessarily to EDPR.
And, and that's how I think we'll, we'll be able to differentiate ourselves and be able to serve all types of clients because everybody needs energy and everybody needs power. And, and I think everybody wants it to be renewable. And uh, if we can come up with client solutions, you know, our ideal client title can be quite broad. So is this EDPR's first venture into the smaller projects? Because they're so used to building 100, 200, 300 megawatt <laughs> solar farms or wind farms. Uh, I didn't know that they went down 20 megawatts or below, but this might be why you were so attracted to them. In the United States, yes. EDPR and EDP uh, in Iberia have commercial activities, uh, some in forms of PPA, some in the forms of cash sales through the EDP Commercial uh, segment. But definitely in the U.S., this is the first foray. Uh, and, you know, the, the, you know, the U.S. market is just such a large market. Uh, and there's such a large market opportunity in DG in particular that, um, you know, I, I think that we all see major growth opportunity here beyond what we already have. Given the EDP group and, and what it's done in Europe, how much did you lean on the European side of things? And, and what are, if there are, the, some of the similarities in, in renewable energy here in the United States? And I know we haven't, you know, we're not near as far along here as they are over in Europe. But what are some of the similarities uh, with, with DG here versus over in Europe? Look, I think... You know, the last part of what you said in terms of, you know, that they're more advanced, I think complexity is the enemy of, of growth. And and ultimately, in the US, you know, the complexity associated with the tax credit and how we set up incentives and the financing that, is, that comes associated with that uh, makes us, you know, just a, a and, and then also that we're not only in 50 states, which represent 50 different types of markets, but then utility service territories. And, and so the lack of standardization becomes uh, prohibiting in terms of growth. So what Europe has done, I would say comparatively more effectively is, you know, you have a standard revenue arrangement, you have sort of standard permitting, uh, whereas, you know, county by county permitting can vary, uh, you know, state by state incentive programs, federal incentive complexity. And so, you know, if you sort of started with a clean slate and you just said, okay, there's this going to be, this is the only incentive that is available and it's a simple price per kilowatt hour or a simple upfront rebate, whatever it might be. I think that, and, and, you know, permitting were standardized and so on, the growth would happen. So I think that, uh, or the growth, the growth will continue to, would, would be exponential uh, ultimately uh, beyond where it already is. Um, I, you know, I think from a, in terms of leaning on Europe, I mean, we, we, we lean on Europe, uh, you know, definitely, I mean, in terms of our sorts of capital, um, but, you know, the, the U.S. business does have meaningfully different attributes than uh, both on the utility scale side and, and on the DG side because of those complexities than what, what the European side of the business is dealing with. And then the scale. I mean, the U.S. is just a larger scale than any individual European country. So the, the benefits that I think exist in terms of that is less about us leaning on them or them leaning on us, but more in terms of we have customers that have global footprints and need global solutions, and we can do that. We can do that better than any of our peers. And I think that that's really where we differentiate ourselves and, and how the teams work together more than you know one being reliant on the other. Did you educate the listeners a little bit and tell them what size roof would hold how many megawatts or kilowatts in a typical situation, whether it's a grocery store or a courtyard by Marriott, whatever it might be, can you give 
some kind of reference to size and 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 power so what i would say here is you know roofs are are a little a little bit more difficult uh just because you know you may have setbacks or you may have hvac systems skylights things like that the typical rule of thumb is about you know four acres a megawatt for for a ground mount you know rooftop it, it can be uh, a little bit smaller just in terms of you know you need you know depending on how the systems are designed less spacing uh between the rows and things like that i, I would i would think about it just more in, in acreage because as, as you start to think about you know if you're looking at your facility and in, in google maps and you start to see a bunch of uh a bunch of equipment on the roof um you know, that's, you know, you, you need, you know, spacing, you need to be able to, you know, have spacing between the rows to safely uh, maintain the, the projects and, and so on. Um, it's probably the three to four acres uh, a megawatt is, is probably the best, the best rule of thumb there. When, when you joined the EDPR team, what was one of the things that really jumped out to you that uh, maybe you hadn't seen or hadn't experienced before that's been really, it's been an advantage for you when you're doing these sales pitches and when you're out there with, with, with clients and investors these last nine months in your role as a chief investment officer with EDPR? I, I don't know that it's necessarily one specific thing. I mean, we where the areas where we collaborate uh, within teams, uh, you know, because we, we're not, we're not a separate entity from EDPR. We are EDPR, we're just a different, a different team, um, you know, that, that focuses on DG, uh, you know, when we, you know, it's one thing to have a low cost of capital and that's, that's great. And we definitely have competitively priced capital, but, um, you also need to push on your cost basis and bringing down your costs. And so, you know, when we procure, we procure alongside the procurement team in, you know, multi-gigawatt panel and racking and inverter procurements. Um, and so, so we benefit not only from a low cost of capital, but from a lower cap capital basis, absolutely relative to, to many of our competitors. Cause, uh, there is, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, even larger companies that have DG segments, you know, we've seen a lot where, um, where, you know, they, they, the DG unit is sort of off on its own. Um, and, and, you know, so, so procurement is there construction and, and, uh, energy assessment. Uh, the markets and the risk team, uh, you know, these are all areas in which there, there's substantial collaboration. Um, and, you know, look, EDP is, I think, the fourth largest owner of renewables globally. Uh, that, that comes with a huge amount of operating experience, not only just in operating solar plants, but in operating businesses and, and a renewables business in and of itself. Um, and again, there, there are things that are different about DG that, that you know, are reconciled and uh, and that we continue to work through, but you know, it's not it's not one specific area, right? I mean, that when when Candace and I made the decision to sell the business, there were a number of suitors. What we felt was that money was not going to solve all of our problems. Um, and you know, you can definitely throw money at a lot of problems, but we did not want to build up all of these functions individually. Um, that that we knew the DG segment needed in order to be successful. We really wanted to be in a place where uh, we could have all of these functions, but also uh, be able to continue to operate in, in a nimble way to, to be able to, to, to grow the business. Because the thing that is the sort of misnomer about DG is, yes, we're building a solar business um, and we're building solar projects, but we're not building a bunch of small utility scale projects. We are building a, a, a business that happens to operate, own and operate solar projects. So it's not about, you know, 
the profitability of site A versus site B. It's about the profitability of the business unit as a whole. Whereas when you're doing large scale project finance, it's very much a profitability of that asset. Um, and it's similar to similar, you know, type of delineation between residential, right? Resi is, is in my mind, sort of more akin to running a credit card business than it is running a, you know, solar, uh, you know, power generation business. Uh, just it's, it's, it's very much a financial products business. So, so, you know, and, and, and again, it's just, they're just different within renewables or different segments and they're, they're different parts of it. We needed, you know, we obviously need to, to lean on uh, elements of, you know, that are applicable to, to the utility scale side, but um, we definitely operate differently. Are there any projects right now that you're especially, you know, that, that when this thing gets done, that, you know, it's going to have kind of that proud dad feel to it when it's all said and done? Well, anybody who uh, has been in solar as long as I am and says that they're proud of all their projects is not top of the case. So I, I definitely, definitely have some that uh, I, I would say take up more time in my day than I would have otherwise wished. I mean, you know, for us, you know, doing doing rooftop projects, doing carport projects, you know, we we can stamp those out. We know how to do them, and and it's it's really just gratifying when we have customer trust that allows us into a facility that we can we can implement that. I think the the things that I am um, particularly proud of in terms of how EDPR looks at the world is relative to community solar. You know, I think you know community solar has become a, a buzzword, but I, I think people forget why it exists. We talk, people like to talk about, oh, we, you know, we did a deal with Walmart or we did a deal with Target. We were, you know, we're doing, you know, a multi-hundred megawatt power plant uh, and as VPPA with Microsoft or Facebook or Google or something like that. And what you hear within that and what you see within that is an industry that really has unfortunately Serve, serve two ends uh, of, of the spectrum. You've got very, very large corporations that are buyers, large utilities, and you've got, uh, you know, in terms of the downstream with residential, you know, to my comment previously about it being sort of more of a credit business, typically, you know, high FICO score customers. And everybody else in the middle is locked out. And community solar, you know, when, when I hear about community solar arrangements that can serve the the Walmarts of the world, that's great, right? Because that is supporting supporting the development of these types of projects. But where I really find the the impact of the industry, which will make it more tangible to a much broader component of the citizenship of the US, is you know what community solar can do for them. Right. If you are if you live in an apartment building if you're a low, if you're an LMI customer, if you're a church, if you are a pizza joint, if you, you know, have a, you know, five-year lease on your warehouse, but you know you're not comfortable or ready to sign a twenty-year lease on your warehouse, you can still benefit from renewables. And what I, the programs like what has been done in New York, where they've limited the size of the anchor, uh, I think is 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 very appropriate because. What that is, apps in New York, for example, you can have an anchor for forty percent, and then sixty percent has to come from uh, basically smaller commercial customers up to twenty-five kW each. What that does is it forces a developer like us to say, "Okay, well, I'm not just going to find the Walmart of the world and sell one hundred percent of my, my capacity. I have to serve a broader community." And so, 
to your question about the the projects that uh, you know, one of the projects I'm definitely most most proud of is a project, uh, an energy a solar plus storage project outside of Manhattan that is serving Catholic charities and, and other LMI customers. And and in my mind is is staying very much true to the intent and spirit of what community solar was meant to be. Not because it's the political thing to say, or you know, we 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 appreciate our larger scale customers because they otherwise enable for that type of stuff to happen. Right. But um, but the, that's that you know, there, there's a there's a project called Minds Press that uh, that that uh, I can get the exact details, but it's it's a little bit over a megawatt that uh, that we're we're turning on right now. And and it's but but it's interesting you mentioned that because you know we we had uh, Jane Stricker on from uh, BP and she talked about you know they're doing a a, a solar array in a in a low to mid income neighborhood here in Houston right and, and and she touched on those same things is that and and you know we don't hear a lot about that right and that's the one like you mentioned that's the one area you know again we're hearing about municipalities we're hearing about you know universities and and, and like you said large corporations are doing it but like you said these LMIs are kind of getting left behind is that a, is that that a space where EDPR can kind of lead uh, lead the way in in helping out and and providing this this these, these lower to mid income that kind of get left behind where you guys can kind of lead the way and provide the, the this community solar and other renewable energy for these folks. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think it is. I mean, C two and our first community solar projects, we were we were I believe the first developer to waive FICO score requirements because you know we felt that inherently within the and, and also contractual terms for for residential because we felt that you know inherent within the structures is a functional credit enhancement uh you know unlike if i were installing a system behind the meter and that customer goes out of business you're you're sort of stuck with a the project there and you have to wait for somebody else to come in and, and there's all sorts of complexities with that with community solar all the programs have been set up to allow for a level of friction in terms of customer attrition and and banking credits and things like that, where you can find alternative customers without having make it may, having to move a major capital investment that you may have installed behind the meter previously. So I, I think it's about serving LMI, but I think it's about serving a much broader audience than otherwise uh, you know exists. And and you know we're I'm talking about some, a broad audience as wide as renters, right? People who rent their homes or rent their apartments or live in an apartment cannot put solar, but and I think they want something more tangible than you know what they might get an option to pay a little bit more on their energy bill to go green. The reality here is that community solar can be uh, can actually come at a discount to whatever their retail or should come at a discount to whatever their retail proposition is. So, so I think that this is absolutely one of the areas in which we 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 are leading, um, where we are not only uh, announcing projects but we actually have projects in operation. Uh, where these are not about announcing initiatives, but actually having, you know, projects that are pumping electrons right now that are serving LMI customers and small commercial customers and the like. Um, and, uh, and, and I know it's, it's a priority of the organization along with, um, you know, in terms of all of the meeting all the appropriate investment metrics, all of the ESG metrics as well. As chief investment officer, and like I said, talking about the markets and, and just the difference in where it's at, and obviously, you know, things are ripe right now. What's the number one hurdle to getting projects done right now in your estimation? The number one hurdle is availability of components and labor. Really? That is a number one hurdle, yeah. Uh, there are a lot of projects being built. You know, the supply chain is under meaningful stress. The labor market is under meaningful stress. 
uh, you know, that's those are the biggest hindrances at this point. Get you out here. This you started a brand new role this year, so obviously 2021 has been probably one of the more uh, exciting years of your life. How do you guys plan to punctuate 2021, and what's ahead for 2022? I think it's it's about just executing. I mean, I think you know we we you know our business plan is to grow over you know 300 megawatts a year, um, and and executing on that uh, and and meeting those goals and and you know trying to exceed them would be uh, would be exciting uh, and even more exciting. So. Um, you know, there, there are headwinds relative to, you know, as I said, the supply chain and, and labor. Um, but, you know, we are working through it. We have great partners. Um, we have a great team. Um, we, uh, you know, we and we have scale within the context of what we're doing with EDPR uh, in a way that it would have been a very, very different conversation if it had been, you know, C2, uh, you know, which was a profitable entity, um, but uh, definitely, you know, it's different when you're part of a thirty billion dollar corporation than when you're, you know, a three hundred million dollar organization. <laughs> Thanks so much for that, Mr. Richard Dover. Don't forget, you can catch all of the Green Insider episodes over at Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, eRenew.net, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you check us out on Apple iTunes, and we know that a lot of you do, please leave us a five star rating. Why? Because we promise you learn more about eRenewable from the podcast than you knew about it before you stop by. Be sure to follow us over there on LinkedIn. Like we told you earlier before, we've got a lot of great podcasts, some really good content coming out before the end of the year, and we've got some tremendous plans for 2022 and beyond. You do not want to miss that. So want to thank everybody, the entire eRenewable team, and Mike, Al, everybody, and of course, all of you that help make the eRenewable Green Insider Podcast possible. This has been the Green Insider Podcast powered by eRenewable. We make going green easier.